Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Good morning. Was that an awesome worship set or what? All right. Four of you believe that. Was that awesome or what? We, we have an awesome team of people who come every week to lead us before the throne of Jesus. And uh, none of these people are on paid staff. I clarify paid because they're, uh, they're all kind of on staff. The expectations are high and the accountability is there as if they were paid staff. And they know that and they come every week with excellence. And we just appreciate that. Phil, we appreciate your leadership. Thomas, we appreciate you bringing the bass, drum, holding it together with that four on the floor count. Well, it's been a while since I've been up here to preach. A few months ago, I stepped into a new role overseeing our technical teams and leading the technical side of our worship services. And in doing so, my wife and I decided that I would dial back on serving in other areas so I could focus on that one area. However... When we were discussing our series topics for this quarter and the series Muted came up and we said we were going to preach on worship for a few weeks, I was just bursting at the seams and I'm like, I know I said I wouldn't, but just this once. And so we thought, well, we can make it work. There's not that much going on. So instead what we did was we had a baby. I quit my job, started a company, and bought a house um, and decided to preach still. So it's going to be a great, great weekend very expectant for what God has for us. I know what God spoke to me over the last couple months as I was preparing for this. It's, it's going to be good, and I think it's going to speak to me, and hopefully it speaks to a few of you as well. For everyone who hasn't been here very long, my name is David, Dave or Biggs. As my friend Alicia recently reminded me, I have another name. It is The King. And in her phone, since high school, I've been saved as the king with the little crown emoji. And I forgot about that until last week. Alicia is a missionary. She travels all over the world to bring Jesus to the parts of the world that don't have it. And she came last week. Uh, she spoke for a few minutes to share what she's doing. And I texted her, and uh, she's like, the king, look at this. And she shows me, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. Since high school, I've been the king. And there's a story behind that, but uh, you can ask me about it later. So, uh, to simplify things, you do not have to call me the king. You don't have to save me in your phone as the king. You can just call me David. So, who am I? I am a business owner. I am a dog lover. I am a do-it-yourselfer. That is Ava. That is our puppy. She is our, we always joke, she's our firstborn because she was our first baby. I'm a rule breaker. And when we went to the museums in Washington, D.C., this is not that, but when we went to the museums in Washington, D.C., I am a visual learner, and I like touching things. I'm very tactile. And you're not supposed to touch things at the museum, but I didn't know. Okay, I knew, but I didn't care. I wanted to experience it in its fullness. And so then when we went to the Louvre, I'm going to say that the signs were in... Uh, French, so I couldn't understand if they said, touch this lion or don't, but I did. We did not set off any alarms in the Louvre, and I did not get arrested in another country. I did get yelled at when we were in Washington, D.C., though, um, so uh, rule breaker. I'm an Apple fanboy. 
That is a not a self-claimed title, but anyone who knows me knows that I am an Apple fanboy. I am a perfectionist. I'm a husband to a beautiful woman. I think we have a picture of Taylor and myself. There's Taylor and me. And I am the father of the most beautiful and perfect daughter. There it is. Oh, yeah. I think there's a few more pictures of Taylor and myself and uh, probably one of all three of us. Uh, that's Cash. Cash is now four months old. I am a musician. I am a technology enthusiast. I am a worshiper. I am a preacher. And most importantly, something I share with all of you, I am a son. I am a child of the Most High King. And in preparation for this week's sermon, I felt more pressure than I normally do. Not because it's public speaking. I, I don't mind that. I actually kind of like it. And I, I don't really get nervous when I'm speaking in front of people. Uh, a lot of people fear public speaking, but for some reason, public speaking and heights, I don't fear either one of those, and I kind of like both of them. But public speaking is a little different when you're teaching the Word of God. It has an entirely different kind of pressure associated with it. James 3 says, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Now that's pretty scary. That's pretty scary stuff right there. Someday we will stand before God and be held accountable for every wrong thought, word, and action, but the teachers of the word of God will ensure a much stricter judgment. That's just dandy. Or how about this one, Matthew 12, 36. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Another translation says every idle word spoken. This verse gets me every time I'm preparing for a sermon. You may be surprised that because of this verse, how many times I will omit an entire page of notes from my sermon uh, the night before the morning of preaching. And if you're wondering if I did that this time, I did. My wife came in. She's like, what's all that stuff you scribbled out? I'm like, it's just stuff I don't need. She's like, what does it say? I'm like, it doesn't matter because I'm not saying it. And it is because of that verse. In fact, that verse is the only reason we're going to be able to get to lunch on time this weekend. <laughs> so last week, I had the honor to join my sister-in-law and her fiancé together in marriage. And at the end of the message, I preached to them and everyone else. Right before the vows, I said, now that you have heard the high calling of marriage... And then we went into the vows. And I feel like anyone who is called to teach the word of God is standing where Nicole and Pat stood. I feel like I'm standing where Nicole and Pat stood. And God is saying to me, David, now that you have heard the high calling of teaching my word, do you accept the responsibility? And it's mildly terrifying. But in that pressure, in that calling, there's something beautiful. God has laid a word on my heart, and he started the process months ago and finished it this week. And I would be remiss if I were to back out of the challenge because I was scared of the consequences of doing it incorrectly. And for the sake of adding a sports analogy, if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out swinging. And those of you who know me know that's hilarious because I don't know anything about sports. I, I'm going out on a limb. That is a baseball reference, yes? All right. I'm not perfect, but by God's grace, I am able to stand before you and share the word he's laid on my heart. So would you pray with me? Father God... Thank you that we can come before you and worship. Lord, thank you that we have the ability to gather together in public, God, and not fear persecution, God. God, let these not be idle words I speak today, but Lord, speak through me and let these words penetrate our hearts and spirits. God, we honor your name. We give you the praise and the glory, 
in your son Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Who should worship God? This seems like a silly question, especially in a church setting, and perhaps you would answer everyone, and if you answer that, you would be correct. We should all worship God. Isaiah 43 says, The people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. That one seems pretty straightforward. God formed us so that we would declare his praise. There's no questioning what that verse means. Or verse 7, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Again, God created us for his glory. Let's go to Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. I'm seeing a recurring theme in scripture. We were created for and by our maker, and we were created with one purpose, and that is to worship our creator. Some of you may think or at times have thought, I have nothing to worship God for. I'm not at a point in my life where I feel like worshiping. And if you're feeling that way this morning, I want to challenge you. Did you wake up breathing today? You woke up today, and from what I can tell, everyone in here is breathing. Where did you wake up? Probably in a bed of some sort or a couch, in a climate-controlled room, in a house, an apartment, a hotel, or a shelter of some sort. You likely ate breakfast, and if not, you at least had the opportunity to do so. And you're here now with the body of believers, to build your faith and to worship the God on high. How did you get here? I go out on a ledge that you probably drove or rode with someone, and if you didn't, you'd say, well, no, I don't have a car. Well, I had to walk. You know what? God gave you those two legs that you can walk on, and that is something to praise God for. Perhaps you don't have legs. Perhaps you cannot walk. Perhaps you're disabled in some capacity and you're in a wheelchair, and you think, does God love me? It makes you contemplate, is God truly worthy of my worship? I go back to my first point. You are here, and you are breathing, and if you're having those thoughts, that's because you have a functioning brain that's capable of forming thought and making decisions and controlling your body and making opinions, and you can exercise free will. On a normal day like today, you have countless things. I have countless things to be grateful for to worship God. Pew Research did a study a few years ago to see where the U.S. lies in terms of wealth. And there are many studies out there, but they all seem to point to a similar conclusion. I'd like to read you a snippet from their website. It says, the U.S. stands head and shoulders above the rest of the world. More than 56% of Americans were in the high-income bracket by global standards, living on more than $50 per day. Another 32% upper middle income. In other words, almost 9 in 10 Americans stand to live in a standard that is above the global middle income standard. Only 7% in the U.S. were middle income, and only 3% were low income, and 2 were considered poor. Did you get that? Only 2% of Americans are considered poor by the world's standards. I could spend the entire time I have with you this morning going on and on about how blessed we are and how fortunate we are and how we live in overwhelming abundance and God's favor and blessing in our lives, but I only have a short time, and I want to focus on God's word with the remaining time that we have. So Phil started out a few weeks ago the muted series by taking on the very beginning of the recorded word of God and talking about Genesis, the very beginning, and with that in mind, I figured, well, what a great idea. Let me end the series with the end of God's word, the book of Revelation. It wasn't entirely my reasoning, but we'll just go with that. 
and I hadn't heard Phil's message until this week as I was finishing up because I was teaching in kiddos when he preached. So I didn't listen to it till this week, and as I was finalizing, uh, I realized at one point that Phil had spoken on my key text. So you're going to get a little doubling up on that, but the teachers in the house know that one of the best ways to learn is repetition, so I'm going to help you learn. So let's open to Revelation chapter 1. This one's not going to be on the screen, but if you have your Bible or an app that has the Bible on it, pull that out. Revelation chapter 1. I'll be reading from the New Living if you want to read exactly as I am reading. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to a servant, John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and his testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to his message and obey what it says, for the time is near. I was getting ready to read Revelation chapter 4. That's going to be our key text, and I, I saw this, and I thought, well, gosh, I sure want God's blessing as a result of reading the prophecy to the church. Now, don't get too upset with me because... Reading these words to you may have blessings for me in store, and I receive that. But listen to the next part. He blesses all who listen to his message and obey what it says. Luke chapter 11, verse 28 says, Jesus replied, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Not blessed are those who hear it, but blessed who are hear it and put it into practice. That's you guys. That's me. So I receive that blessing, but God says even more are blessed are those who put this word into practice. So what we're doing here this weekend isn't all the exposure that we're supposed to get to the word of God. We're here to encourage each other, to love each other, to build each other up, to worship corporately together, to lift the name of Jesus, to bring offerings and express our thanksgiving for what he's done. But you cannot rely on a 30-minute sermon every weekend and a few songs, albeit awesome songs to fill a God-sized hole in your heart. My responsibility as a father and as a husband is to take care of my family. It's to provide for them to put a roof over their heads, to lead them spiritually, and to be a rock for them when they need me most. What kind of husband or father would I be if I told Taylor I loved her and I told Cash I loved her, but I only went to work 30 minutes a week? I said, the 30 minutes is all I need to give so they know I love them. Well, I wouldn't be able to pay the bills. I wouldn't be able to do some of the things I'm required to do as a husband and a father. I don't think it would work very well. Or what if I spoke to Taylor only half an hour a week or a few minutes a week, and we said, oh, that should last me till next week. I'll, I'll talk to you then. It, it seems funny, it, and it is a funny concept because clearly none of us would do that. None of us who have a, a great marriage would, would spend a few minutes a week talking to our spouse. That, that just wouldn't work, and it wouldn't last. But that's exactly what so many of us do on a weekly basis. We think, well, if I show up to church, if I check the box off the list, I'll be good for a week. Yes, church is important. It is very important, and you need to make it a priority to come into God's house. You need to prioritize church over soccer games and over sporting events and over resting a few more hours on a Sunday morning. You need to put church as a number one for your Sunday mornings. But we need to be expressing our worship to God outside of these four walls and outside of one morning a week. So let's get equipped to do that, okay? 
Okay, okay, all right, guys, we're gonna try that again. Let's get equipped to do that, okay? All right, cool. So, a few of you want to hear this. I'm gonna read from Revelation chapter four. It'll be on the screens. You can follow along up there or you can pull out your Bible and read with me. It's gonna be a little bit of reading, so follow along and don't zone out because this is great stuff. If you don't hear anything else, what I say, if you forget everything I said, you don't like the jokes, that's okay. Read this with me because this is going to change your life. It's talking about worship in heaven. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian, and the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder, and in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. From the first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out, day after day, night after night. They kept on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Now, I don't know if you guys caught that. It said they had eyes inside and out. Now, can you imagine how efficient that would be if you had eyes on the inside? You're like, man, I'm not feeling well. Let me just, oh, yeah, that's what's wrong. It would put doctors out of business, and we wouldn't need x-ray machines. But since we are not those beings, we are thankful for doctors and modern medicine. Back to the text. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. Let's just take that in for a minute. This is a glimpse of what worship will look like in heaven someday. This is a glimpse of what our eternities will be. There's so much good content in Revelation. I want to read the entire book to you, but I will settle for two chapters. So we're going to go to chapter 5 and keep reading. Don't zone out yet. It just gets better and better from here. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who is sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represented the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out to every part of the earth. He stepped forward and looked 
He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp. They held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. And they will reign on the earth. Then I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea. And they sang, Blessing and honor. And glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped the Lamb. What a powerful glimpse of what heaven is going to be like, what our worship is going to be like for eternity. I just want to keep going through it, but we're going to focus on these two chapters. I just want you guys to have a glimpse of what heaven is is going to look like, what our worship's going to look like for eternity. I know that was a lot to take in, especially reading through those two chapters so quickly, so I'm going to do a little recap, and we're going to talk about some of the key points that I want to point out in those chapters. So what is worship supposed to look like? Chapter 4, verse 1 says, The same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. I don't know if you guys have ever heard a trumpet blast. It's a little louder than my voice. Verse 5, from the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. Verse 6, in front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. Verse 11, then I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang a mighty chorus. Verse 13, and then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under earth and in the sea they sang. Every creature they sang. So I saw a recurring theme in those verses and what I got out of that is that worship can be loud. Worship is supposed to be loud and it's supposed to be awesome. It's supposed to look awesome. It's supposed to be presented well. Not for us, not for the people on stage, not so that Church 214 gets a name as the church that has cool lights, but so we can honor our God. I don't think our budget will allow for a shiny, sparkling crystal sea, and I don't think the fire marshal would appreciate seven burning torches, so we improvise. We use LED lighting and shiny instruments to express our worship visually to God. We move, we dance. And while there's no crystal sea or burning torches, I know that we can still express our worship in a way that honors God. And a worship, it can be expressed with great volume. Verse 11 says that there was a voice of thousands and millions of angels. Now, can you imagine how loud that would be? Thousands and millions of angels. Here's a general idea of how loud this could be, and this is where I get to geek out. 
was FaceTiming Phil the other night, and then he was, like, falling asleep, so I couldn't tell him this, but I really wanted to. I was like, Phil, you got to hear this, and Becca told me he was falling asleep. I'm like, i got to have all your mental capacity for you to appreciate this, so I said, you just wait till Sunday because I'm not going to ruin it. A rule of thumb when measuring audio. You guys, don't check out. I see some of you are like, oh, here we go. My wife's like, here comes the nerd. That's okay. That's okay. But just stay with me. It's really cool. As a rule of thumb when measuring sound pressure level or audio levels, Every time you double the quantity of the source, a speaker, two speakers, four speakers, eight, you increase the perceived volume or sound pressure level by three decibels. What is a decibel? It's, it's a tenth of a bell. It's a measurement. So let's, let's look at it like this. A highly trained opera singer can sustain notes of about 100 decibels. So by that logic, two would be at 103, four would be at... 106, remember, every time we double, we increase by three decibels, a 50% increase in volume. If we maintain that logic, number of angels on the left, perceived volume and sound pressure level on the right, if we maintain that logic and we assume that for the sake of this illustration that angels at least have as much voice as a trained opera singer, every time we double, we increase our volume. So one, two, four, eight. We get down to 2,048 angels, and we're at 133 decibels. Can we go to the next graph? We keep doubling that because the, the verse said millions of angels. So we're going to keep doubling and doubling and doubling. And let's stop at 8 million angels. That sounds like a good number. It's close to 7, which is a good number. So uh, since we're doubling for the sake of this, we, we could have stopped at 7, but we'll just go with 8. That's 169 decibels. Now, that number doesn't seem that impressive on its own, but... I want to explain to you what that means. So to, to those of you who aren't geeking out about 169 decibels, let me explain something to you. The loudest, okay, rewind here. Remember, who's in charge of the tech at the church? Okay, cool. That's not just to build my ego, but that's nice. We'll just pump that up a little bit. Okay, great. Here we go. So I do not allow our sound pressure level to exceed 115 decibels in an A weighting. An A weighting is the weighting that favors the audio that would hurt our ears the most. OSHA allows us exposure to 115 decibels for no more than 15 to 30 minutes a day before it gets dangerous. So at our loudest point in worship, we hit 115, which means we're nowhere near a threshold for danger to your hearing. So I don't want to hear it anymore. That's the end of that. Okay. <laughs> but to give you more reference points, and you're like, how do you know that? Because my hearing is that good. I'm just kidding. We have a meter that is calibrated that tells us exactly how much sound pressure is coming out of the speakers. Okay. So in other words, a snare drum, an instantaneous snare drum hit at the snare drum is 125 decibels. A 200-member marching band is about 130 decibels. A gunshot, point blank, 130 to 140, and 140 is the threshold of pain at all frequencies, and it is definite long-term hearing damage. So one, we're nowhere near definite long-term hearing damage. Two, a choir of eight million angels is very loud. And you're like, okay, that's loud, but by how much? Well, to give you an idea, at 169 decibels, if you put on those big hearing protection headphones, like the ones I have pictured on the screen, <laughs> if you put on these, which I have cash wear during worship, those would reduce the volume to 140 decibels. So even with hearing protection, a choir of millions of angels would still be devastating to our ears. 
Now that seems a bit excessive, and that's because one, that's adorable, so you're welcome for that. Take it in, take a picture, just bask in my daughter's adorable cuteness. You wanna squeeze her little cheeks. That seems excessive, and that's because as humans, we can't handle that much volume. A choir of millions of angels, it would produce so much sound that it is glorifying to God, but as our human bodies have limitations, we, we cannot take that. So you, you get it, you get it. Worship can be loud, and we're not going to be as loud as millions of angels. But, but Revelation says that worship in heaven is loud. Don't, don't worry, we're not going to be as loud as a choir of millions of angels. I don't think our sound system could actually do that anyway. So verse 8. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Verse 11, Then I looked again and heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, at about 169 decibels, if I will. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive the power and the riches and the wisdom and the strength and the honor and the glory and the blessing. Verse 13, and then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and in the sea, they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. What is Revelation telling us? It's saying that from the beginning of time in Genesis to the end of time that God should be and will be worshipped. The passage doesn't say on Sundays and church worship nights the creatures worshipped God. It doesn't say when you feel like it, when you're having a good day or when you're feeling the, you're feeling the worship or when the music's not too loud or when it's a song you like. It said day after day and night after night constantly they are in worship. And you and I are called to worship day after day and night after night. We're supposed to be living our lives as a constant act of worship to our God. I gave reasons earlier as to why we should worship and, and why God is worthy, but really none of that should matter. Those are all superficial reasons. The only reason you need to know is that God made you to worship. We are beings created for his worship. What, whatever happened to praise the Lord? Praise the Lord. When something good happens, praise the Lord. And I don't just mean a saying. I mean an expression. And I, I mean a true expression of worship. We are beings created for his worship. So whatever happened to praise the Lord? Since worship is intended to be a lifestyle, something we do day after day, it's part of our weeks, not just weekends, we should be praising the Lord every day. For instance, in my life, when Cash sleeps through the night, we say praise the Lord in our household. When Cash takes a two-hour nap, we say praise the Lord. When Cash has a good poop, we say praise the Lord because that means our baby is healthy and that God is good. Over the past few weeks, Taylor and I have literally said praise the Lord out loud to so many occurrences. We bought a new home that we just knew God was saying, this is going to be your new home. We walked in and we had peace. We bought that house. Everything went through and we're living there now and we just say, praise the Lord. And we did that in a step of faith because we hadn't sold our other house yet, which puts a little bit of pressure on me as the financial provider for our family. And as I mentioned, I quit my job to start a business about the same time. 
and our house just sold last week, so praise the Lord. We're now moving into a home that we love, and we're not going to have two mortgage payments. God provides. When you have opportunities through the week to see God's goodness or to share God's goodness, are you saying praise the Lord? A vocal expression of worship and praise to the God who is so worthy that if he never did another thing for you, the fact that he sent his son. Something I can't fathom doing. Praise the Lord. You see, God sent his son to die for you. And I never really knew what that meant until I had a child of my own. And I love you guys, but I would not give her up for you. I don't know how he did it, but he gave his son for you, and that alone is worthy of his praise. That alone is enough to be grateful for. Praise the Lord. Psalm 150 says, let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's pretty straightforward. Some of the Bible can be a little difficult to read. It can be difficult to interpret and understand. But that verse is everything that breathes. Praise the Lord. And it doesn't stop there. It says it again. Praise the Lord. The topic of praise and worship to our creator, it's in scripture so frequently, and it's because of its importance. It isn't something to be taken lightly. Is there something that's keeping you from praising the Lord? Is there something that's holding you back? Perhaps you think that God is not praiseworthy, but I can just tell you he is. He is worthy of our praise. Maybe it's not that. Maybe you want to praise God, but you're worried about how you'll look or sound. I can't help you if you're not the best singer. I can't help you if you're the worst singer. And I, I might not want to stand by you in worship if you're the worst singer. I'm going to be honest. But why do you think we turn the volume up so much? We turn it up so that you can sing without reservation and know that God thinks you have the most beautiful voice he longs to hear your praise. God created you with the most versatile of instruments on the planet. You think I'm not a musician, I can't play an instrument, but you can play one, and it's the one that he built into your body. He created you with one purpose, and it is to praise him. It is to lift his name. So if you can sing, you should sing. You should sing with everything you are and without reservation. I have a story to tell you that's in the Bible, and it talks about pride. It talks about someone who was worried about what God might think, rather what people might think if we're worshiping God. The Ark of the Covenant was coming into the city of David, and because of this, David was dancing and leaping before the Lord. The daughter of Saul saw this, and she despised 
King David because of this. She confronted him, basically calling him a fool. Here's how David responded. David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people in Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. You see, Michal was worried about her pride. She not only missed out on the blessing of the Lord, she had no children for the rest of her life. David, though, was a man after God's heart. He got it. He had no concern with what his peers thought about him. He only had one goal, to praise God no matter the cost. And this week, as you leave here, who will you be like? Will you be like the millions of angels that lift out a voice to the Lord? Will you be like King David, willing to lay everything down to worship the Lord? Not just here on Sunday, but in everyday life. Or will you be focused on your own problems, stuck in your pride, and you cannot lift your hands, you cannot lift your voice? I leave you with this Psalm 100, verses 1 to 5. Would you stand with me in honor for reading of the Word of God? Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people. The sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. His faithfulness continues to each generation. Let's worship the Lord.